Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. everyone to a live Dharma Sunday for May 26, 2019. Koyo Kobose here, so very, very glad you joined us. Oh boy, I'd like to talk a little bit about, uh, this is the first uh, weekend after the induction weekend, last weekend, our uh, induction of lay ministers. This is a culmination of uh, almost two years of weekly meetings. Uh, this is our 11th year, 11th class, uh, LM11, Lay Minister 11 group. And they were inducted as Bright Dawn Lay Ministers last Sunday. Uh, it was, you know, the our lay ministry program is a non-residential internet-based program so this was the first time for many of them to meet each other in person. Uh, they all came to Bright Dawn Center here in Course Code, California, a little north of Fresno in Central California, Joaquin Valley. And this was the first class to have two groups. Uh, you know, we had so many applicants that... Uh, uh, we, although we cap the number of students for each class about eight, but then uh, there were so many more applicants that were good, and so we formed two groups. Uh, and uh, we had uh, there were eleven students, ten of which were able to attend the induction ceremony in person, and. <clears throat> Uh, first time we use uh, some of the groups are using have used the Zoom in terms of uh, instead of the group teleconference service that we were using. So we may gradually transition to Zoom, where they which is the other uh, uh, teleconferencing was voice only, but Zoom apparently you can uh, have visual, and it, it seems to make a difference in the the uh, dynamics of the discussions. So we will see how that goes. Uh, 
you know, this is um, the first class that we're, where we used uh, lay minister hosts, we call them, to, to uh, lead the courses, okay? And the courses mainly uh, require, um, you know, assigned readings weekly, and then they write a written report, and then they, they call in to the group teleconference Sunday and discuss the reports. And in addition to, to the basic uh, Buddha's life and basic teachings and, and Mahayana concepts, we concentrate mainly on uh, the reason for our organization, right on which uh, is translation of Gyome, which is my father's Dharma name. And he was a pioneer in the Americanization of Buddhism. And uh, uh, so mainly we wanted the the program to continue his life work, mainly through his books, Everyday Suchness, and The Center Within, Zen Koans, and some of his sutra translations. Um, so that's been our, our focus, and we've been doing it for the you know for the first ten years of our lay ministry program. Uh, Adrian and I ran uh, hands-on in terms of the classes and organization and so forth. But it's nice that over those years we developed a critical mass of number of lay ministers. I think maybe uh, 40 or so. I don't know. I have to check on the exact count because each class maybe average about five students. And so over 10 years, maybe close to 50 lay ministers. And of course, some on a volunteer basis, we ask them which ones want to uh, uh, participate, uh, host the classes. And so we set it up, and they, of course, not only host the, the uh, <clears throat> teleconference discussion, they learn themselves, okay? If you want to really learn something, teach it. <laughs> and so it, it works all the way around. And uh, uh, <clears throat> it really carries on, Reverend Gilmeco Boss says, legacy to our organization we keep uh his books availability alive and um spread his everyday kind of buddhism uh to the world and right now we have a lm12 group and they have three groups going okay uh we <laughs> that's too many really we may have to, you know, cut back and limit the number of groups. Uh, size is not the most important thing in terms of running this program. Okay, you want the quality um, over quantity, and uh, word of mouth has spread. Um, Noah Mayo, one of our lay ministers from our LM9 group. He has a podcast, and he mentions that he was received his lay ministry induction from the Brighton Center. And when he when he mentions that, 
then the people that like his podcast, they say, oh, I'm gonna, I like to see, well, you know, he talks positively about his experience in training. I'll check it out. And uh, same happens for Christopher Cocchio, who is another lay minister of LM9 Group. They both live in Utah and were former Mormons. So we're, through their influence, uh, a lot of uh, ex-Mormons became interested in Buddhism. And they formed kind of a, well, I don't know if you call it a, a niche or, uh, you know, just like there's a certain number of Catholics that became converts, certain number of Jew, uh, Jewish people where, uh, you know, it's kind of glibly said, oh, Jubus, you know, and to refer to uh, people of Jewish uh, background becoming interested in Buddhism. And so this is an interesting development and evolution of Buddhism in America. Uh, it's very dynamic and organic, always a work in progress in terms of our program and our center specifically. Uh, so at induction time, it made me think about these kinds of things, okay? I had forgotten about how exciting it was for people to come here and how impressive it was to see their dedication you know, to make that kind of commitment for an almost two years, and they formed their own, well, you might call it a cyber sangha, and really support each other. And uh, it's a beautiful thing to see. And as I mentioned, Christopher Cacchio of the LM9 group, uh, he's leading a group in Utah, and uh, he's going to give us a Dharma glimpse today. Thank you, Sensei. And thank all of you for this opportunity to speak with you today, especially after being able to attend this year's induction ceremony. And I want to give a big gasho to Koyo and Adrian Sensei and to their wonderful hospitality. And to Sayo Sensei and his big heart and support to the Kaboses and all the lay ministers. And lastly, a big thank you to all of our new lay ministers and to their dedication and practice. With all of us there, it really feels like a home away from home. Going to induction this year was a pilgrimage for me. It served a similar purpose that ritual serves for me, and that is to remember, to remember, to remember why I became a lay minister in the first place, and what Bright Dawn Way of Oneness really means to me. Remembering to remember is an important part of any gratitude practice. How easy it is to get sidetracked by the tyranny of so many urgencies and the go-go nature of my current life with two toddlers, work, a growing sangha, and doing it all in my 50s. So, returning to Bright Dawn helped me put everything back into perspective. It was amazing to meet all the new lay ministers and to see unity manifested in so much beautiful diversity. We come together from all walks of life and are unified by the vision of Rev. Reverend Guillaume Cabose Sensei and in the way of oneness. As I watched the induction, this time as an observer, I thought of each lay minister and the beginning of their new life after their induction. Each one will start on their own unique ministry from individual spiritual enrichment and practice all the way to creating welcoming and safe sanghas. The one thing that struck me 
was their open, bright faces as they received their induction, and the light that radiated from each of their faces, the light of their hearts and the light of their practice shining forth. It was simply the radiant faces of those who had found the Dharma and the way of oneness. As I stood there, I imagined Reverend Guillaume Kabose sensei there with us, and unknown to the inductees, he was there before them, bowing to each of them as they became lay ministers, ready to share the way of oneness in body, mind, and spirit. On the Monday after the induction, most of the lay ministers had left, and we were sitting around the dinner table having a beautiful, meandering conversation about this and that. At one point, we were talking about the story that Koyo-sensei shared in his book, Bright Dawn, about a small worm and a bamboo stalk. I was saying how that it was one of my favorite stories, and for those who are part of the program probably know it well, and for those who don't know this specific story, I want to to tell it again, and I've taken a few liberties in the retelling. So here's the story. There once was a small worm trapped inside a tall stalk of bamboo, and to escape the darkness and being knowledgeable of bamboo, the small worm decides that he will need to climb upward and out to freedom. He knows he has his work cut out because of the thick joints in the bamboo as it grows, but he knows that he can eat his way through. As he continues to climb upward, he comes across another joint and then another. But he knows this is the only way. This is the only way to freedom. So he continues climbing upward, eating his way through as many joints as he comes to. As strong and determined as the small worm is, the bamboo stalk is very tall and there's still a long way to go. The little worm gets tired and at first resists rest. And on and on he climbs and he chews and chews and finally, and finally he has to stop and rest in the darkness. Resting still in the darkness for some time, he notices a small light coming through a tiny crack in the wall of the bamboo and he slowly crawls over to it and thinks to himself it can't be that easy and he chews his way through the side of the bamboo and in an instant he is free now i love this story and where it comes from in the darkness chapter of reverend koyo's book bright dawn and here is a line from that chapter that i refer to often Every spiritual journey begins in darkness. For me, this teaching brings to mind the Buddha's awakening story as he goes into deeper states of consciousness throughout the darkest night and the deepest journey of his six-year quest there under the Bodhi tree. He journeys into the darkest parts of himself to discover the oneness of all things, and even himself and Mara are one. And just as the morning star arose in the east, He awoke. That morning star reminds me of the crack of light in the bamboo stalk. Darkness seems to be an important ingredient to awakening. And yet, how many of us are timid and avoid the darkness, or when faced with it, we do everything we can to escape it? We create stories to explain away the darkness, or we work tirelessly and single-mindedly, nonstop, to escape the darkness as if the darkness itself is the enemy of light. But in the way of oneness, the darkness is not the enemy of light, but actually reveals the light to us. 
As Rumi the poet has once said, let the darkness be your candle. I love such paradoxes. For me, the most important part of the story of our little worm and the bamboo stalk is the part where he gets so tired he has to stop. How many of us are that way, that we don't even notice the world around us until we get so tired we stop fighting? We become so exhausted that we finally allow the darkness to be the darkness, not an enemy, not the testament of all the things that are wrong, but just what is simply darkness. That's when we finally stop trying so hard and let go, stop being so fixated on what we think we need to do or what we think we know about life. Then we can finally find the way to liberation. For me, the teaching of the story is all about sitting in the darkness and letting the darkness do what it does, reveal the light. And it is hard because we suffer from too much artificial illumination. We hide from the dark and dance in the harsh fluorescent lights of our own limited understanding, thinking we are free. But this is not the same freedom that the Dharma teaches. That brings to my mind the Mojave Desert at night. The Mojave Desert Preserve is also a dark skies park, meaning that it's one of the few places that you can still see the Milky Way in all its splendor the way our ancestors did for a millennia. Lots of tourists come and look up at the sky and say that there's nothing there and they're disappointed and they get back into the tour bus. The reason is that they do not let their eyes adjust to the darkness. They didn't see anything. But those that stop and sit and wait in the darkness and let their eyes adjust they are shown the same view of the stars that the first humans stood in awe and made gods of. We are the same in our spiritual journeys. We need to sit silently in the darkness and let our spiritual eyes adjust to the darkness. That is what meditation is. It is sitting in the darkness of ourselves, being still, and allowing it to show us the light of our inner luminosity. It is similar to the lyrics from Leonard Cohen, but instead of all the cracks in the world letting the light in, I see it as all the cracks in the world letting the light out. May we all sit silently in the dark so we can finally see the light of our own Buddha nature showing us the way to freedom. Thank you for your practice and for listening. Namo Amida Butsu. Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, there's so many teachings out there. Uh, we have to just pause, you know. Uh, uh, you know, this past induction weekend, uh, all of our lay ministers, if they don't have already have a Dharma name, uh, we have what we call a Tisarana Three Treasure Ceremony in which they receive a Dharma name. And the Dharma name uh, is two Chinese written characters. And the last one is Yo, for, for the sun, S-U-N. Uh, like my name is Ko Yo. Ko means, the, the character for Ko means to face towards, to face toward the light. <laughs> kind of... <laughs> good name in terms of the context of our Dharma glimpse today. 
Uh, you know, when the sun, when dawn comes, when sunrise breaks the horizon, we can't help but turn toward the light. You know, uh, and uh, when we when we have to pause in our busy life, remembering to remember, you know, beautiful teaching, very practical. Uh, and I remember at one uh, uh, retreat, uh, one of the one of the hosts shared his favorite quote, which I've never forgotten. And his quote was, "Don't forget what's." truly important just because you have to deal with the merely urgent. Uh, You know, our daily life is filled with so much urgent things that we do have to take care of. You know, Um, this is the, this is the lay program. It's not a monastery. It's not where you have forsaken your family, your social thing, you uh, making a living and all this that's important stuff and you have to take care of it but every once in a while you need to pause and have that calm quiet mind okay in order to keep the keep perspective and priorities um and that's what uh, uh, uh pause means what in fact i gave one uh, uh, past the lay minister, the name Kanyo, which Khan means to pause. Okay, the pausing sun was this lay minister's Dharma name. And what it, does it mean to pause? <laughs> you know, uh, that's what I was talking about. Now, this worm story is a very classic story in Japanese Buddhism and uh, the worm and the bamboo. And in fact, in one of the uh, principal sutras in Shin Buddhism, uh, the Soshinge, there is a, a character that means, that says it's pronounced Ocho. And Ocho is usually translated as horizontal transcendence. Usually we think of a vertical kind of transcendence. You keep going up, up, up till you get over everything. Okay, it's sort of like you if you if uh, spiritual headquarters is on a mountain, you know, and then you could see all the countryside. You can look around and you get nice broad perspective. Okay, you transcend all the busyness down there in the busy city, and you're way up there. Or maybe you take you take a a flight on the Dharma Airlines and you pierce through the clouds, you rise up higher and higher in the altitude, okay, and you say, Oh, look at look at this, you know. But how about horizontal transcendence? What does that mean? Hmm? Or as somebody once put it, it's a sideways leap. <laughs> you know. This means that, like we said, if you try too hard, it's stopping you because you're too caught up in the dualism of means to an end and so forth. Uh, so how is, how, are you, how, are, how is it possible? I heard it once a teacher say, 
Buddhism teaches you how to live an absolute life in a relative world. And I always remember that phrase. Huh? And one time I, uh, I heard a talk about talking about supreme joy and supreme wisdom. And, you know, it's not so much the joy and, I mean, supreme joy and supreme sorrow. Okay. And joy and sorrow are, you know, basic things in human life. Uh, and we always want the joy. We don't want the sorrow. But, you know, this this writer said, what's most important is not the joy or sorrow. It's the supremeness. Living it, being it, you know. And this is how you live an absolute life in a relative world. And I I heard a, a nice uh, talk about the finger fingers palm analogy. If you put out your finger, your hand, and your fingers are spread wide. The fingers, you say your four fingers, represents the relative world. Each finger is relative to the other. It's like a ladder. It's like the sort of like the rat race in a way where you start climbing. Again, it's climbing analogy. So you're climbing from your little finger up to your ring finger, to the index finger, up to the middle finger, to the index finger. You know, and it applies for even spirituality where you're starting as a novice monk and maybe at the top it's wrong, it's the, uh, you know, the... Uh, master, okay, uh, and this monk that I heard this talk, he, he used his finger, and he says, at any level of your journey, you can go sideways to the palm, which is undifferentiated, represents the absolute, okay, as opposed to the fingers being the relative world. So no matter what stage you're in, what, you know, what part of the journey, okay, and you have to keep climbing. That's what we do to be human beings. This is our life. We got to keep going. But at any time we could take that sideways leap, horizontal transcendence, the ocho, okay, and then I slap my palm and say, whoa, (laughs) there it is. So we don't forget what's what's important. We remember to remember. Um, this might be called keeping a beginner's mind, you know, in the Shunuru Suzuki Roshi's famous book, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. You know, and he and he says, in the expert's mind, uh, you know, it's limited. Okay. He thinks this is the only way to do it. Okay. And in a beginner's mind, there's a lot of possibilities. And I think this describes human problem solving. Okay? Now, we don't mean to denigrate or not give value to established rules of thumb or, you know, the reason that human beings can advance in, a, in terms of civilization is we got libraries, we got, we got a method in which knowledge is transmitted uh, but sometimes when a problem requires a creative solution the always don't give the answer so this is all about creative problem solving and I think that 
spirituality for each individual. The diversity requires a living creatively okay? rather than blindly follow a dogmatic teachings. Huh? Not that those teachings and traditions and rituals and so forth are not important. Of course they are. Okay? But you get to a point when you get so tired out that you learn this, uh, how to pause, how to remember to remember, to not forget what's important in your journey and get caught up in that rat race. Okay? We could call it that. Okay? Uh, even though it's necessary, preliminary condition. It's only when you got tired out that you had to pause. Okay? Because we were so conditioned to keep going in that kind of way. Okay? But keep going in a, in, a, in a spiritual way means, hey, you know, even after you attain the goal, you got to keep going. You don't rest on your laurels. Okay? You got to keep your I don't know mind, your beginner's mind. It's a precious thing. Okay? And we could even talk about dark light as it was done in the, in the Dharma glimpse. You see, when when uh, I learned an interesting word, I mentioned this before, but uh, dialectics. I think this stems from uh, philosopher Hegel talked about, you know, if you have a dichotomy, okay, uh, two opposites like dark light, right, wrong, true, false, uh, they are not independent of each other. They depend on each other, okay. If you say student, teacher, or parent, child, as soon as you say one, you know the other one's there. There cannot be a parent without a child. There can't be a teacher without a student. Okay? There cannot be light without darkness. Okay? You might say, oh, I only want light in my life. <clears throat> well, good luck. And then uh, there was a Zen calendar, daily calendar, uh, and each day had a saying on it. And I always remember one of my favorite ones was, in a dark time, the eye opens. And that was mentioned in the Dharma Glimpse too. Okay. You know when you uh, walk into a theater from the bright afternoon and you go into the dark theater, it takes a while for your eye, your, the pupil of your eye, more correctly, to dilate, to let more ambient light in, okay? And then you start, at first it was all dark, and then after a little time, to the wisdom of your, your natural body and the way your vision system works, then you can, after a while, your eyes open up, your poop opens up so much that you could see there's a lot of, uh, you know, shadows and things you could see. Before it was total darkness, you couldn't see anything. Okay. In the dark time, the eye opens. And in a dark time, meaning not just physical darkness, but hard times, life storms, problems, frustrations. Huh? That's when, if you remember to remember and you pause, okay, and we're fortunate enough to have the Dharma in our lives, then our spiritual eye opens. Yes, indeed. Hey, hey, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going. And you have a 
wonderful day. Thank you.